This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. How do? I'm Jim and this is Football Social Daily, the podcast for the latest Premier League news, views and opinion. Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor are lined up to stick their big opinion spoons in the internet pot today and give it a big stir up. Are you all right, lads? I don't know where that was going. Uh, yeah, I, was, <laughs> I did. Uh, my heart skipped a little beat there. You, you pulled it back. You kept it safe. It back. Kept it safe. <laughs> they do get around like four years of doing this podcast and they get more random every week. So well, the Jim Tom Bowler of introductions. <laughs> there are only five weeks to go until the start of the season, amazingly, and there's teams jetting off all over the globe right now for various pre-season tours. But today's podcast is mainly about the summer transfer window with a fair few deals to be discussed, including the latest on Declan Rice and the latest on Harry Kane's long talked about potential departure from Spurs. We're also going to look at Mauricio Pochettino's claim that Chelsea have been the greatest football team in England over the last decade and a bit. Does the new Blues boss have a point or is he just saying what Chelsea fans probably want to hear? But we're going to start with a done deal. Mason Mount has been unveiled as a Manchester United player after completing his protracted £55 million move from Chelsea, where he spent the last 18 years. It's lovely to be joined by Mikey from the Pod of Two Halves, which you can listen to as part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A Manchester United fan and a Manchester United fan with internet issues today. So he's joining us by the uh, good old fashioned way of telephone. How are you doing, Mikey? Yeah, mate, not too bad, not too bad, thanks. The, uh, the joys of the internet, eh? Yeah, very Brilliant. much so. On the day that I'm coming on this show, I get no internet at all. Well, it's good to have you with us, and like all Manchester United fans, you're obviously not based in Manchester, but you're not based in the home counties either. You're somewhere far sunnier. Let us know where you are. So, yeah, I live in uh, Sevilla in the south of Spain, and um, I guess I can confirm that it is pretty sunny. I think um, by the weekend it's going to hit around 45, 46 Ooh. degrees. Oh, I like it hot, yeah. but that's too hot. That's the, that's the <laughs> phrase, isn't it? Well, I think we've got typical rain coming in Manchester. But let's talk about Mason Mount, who's going to have to get used to the Manchester weather, amongst other things. Like we said, 55 million quid was the final transfer fee. Are you pleased with his signing? And are you pleased with the price tag that's attached to the signing? Yeah, so on the show, um, one of the other guys that we kind of do it with is a man called Tom, big Chelsea fan. Uh, a big Mason Mount lover as well. And over the years, I have um, questioned how good Mason Mount really is. And I've kind of been through the ringer, uh, obviously, with this transfer to try and to figure out and justify to myself why I feel like Mason Mount could be a good signing, obviously mm. trying to have a positive spin and everything. And I think, look, England international for 55 million, I think, in this market is pretty good. Um, there are some Chelsea fans that will tell you that if it wasn't in the last year of his deal, he'd be a £100 million player, which is feels a little bit far-fetched to me. But overall, I'm pretty happy. I think there are some big holes in the squad to fill still, but I think Mason Mount will allow Ten Hag to play the formation and the system that he wants to play without having to rely on Ericsson's legs or lack thereof. Well, how do you see Mason Mount fitting into that Manchester United side? So, I think for last year, we had a couple of goes at trying a... 4-3-3 with Big Cass as kind of the single pivot in the DM role. And as I said, we don't have the players to really suit that at the moment. Fred doesn't have the kind of tactical intelligence to cover Bruno's, uh, you know, roaming runs, if you like. And Ericsson just doesn't have the legs to better play 
in that type of kind of eight up and down position. Mason Mount really does offer that. He offers the pressing ability. I think if you look at his defensive stats contributions over the last couple of years, they are a hell of a lot stronger than Christian Eriksen's. Uh, from an intelligence pressing perspective, he's exactly the type of player that can fit in with the Casemiro defensive actions and Bruno attacking actions and be that link between the two. That's what I'm hoping anyway, you know, in an, yeah. in an ideal world. You mentioned that there are a few other gaps that need plugging in that Manchester United team at the moment. The Guardian are saying today that a bid's gone in £39 million for Andre Onana to, from Inter Milan. That's been rejected, but it looks like very much Ten Hag wants to sort his goalkeeper out next. The rumoured war chest, that's the common parlance, isn't it, in terms of transfer rumours, is £100 million. If you get Unana, you've got Mason Mount. That leaves you, quick maths, 11 million quid, something like that, to solve all the other problems in Manchester United's team. Is that enough? Are you concerned about that? Well, I think, um, like, uh, if, we, if we can get a goalkeeper in, that for me is the highest priority in the team, before Mason Mount, before a striker, before anyone. And... Anana, whilst he was available on a free last year, and Inter Milan did some good business to pick him up on a free, then sell him for a bundle this summer, he would be a decent option in there from a being able to play out from the back perspective and not be, crucially, crucially, not be David De Gea, the man <laughs> rooted to his line at all times. So I think he would be a big part of it. And the factor in having a new goalkeeper and Mason Mount is that we'll probably be able to play about 10 yards further up the pitch. If you look at our defensive line last year, it was one of the deepest in the league and we're Manchester United. If we can play 10 yards further up the pitch, then you'd hope that the much maligned Jaden Sancho, the much maligned Anthony could hopefully be a little bit more dangerous if they're playing nearer the goal than, than usual. So if we've only got 11 million quid to play with, we need a striker. I do think we do. We still do need a striker of some kind. It will depend on what we get for, you know, the, the chaff in the squad, your, your Tomines of the world, your Maguires, you know, these guys that really need to need to get up and go away. Mikey, if um, if you've only got eleven million, I've got a, a striker who uh, who could do a job and and would would cost you significantly less than eleven million. He's a big Dutch guy. He's at Burnley at the minute. He's called Wout <laughs> Veghorst. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god how 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 was that guy playing at man united honestly <laughs> a truly truly dreadful footballer he tried bless him he really did try but my word yeah he, he almost tried too hard didn't he at times but uh <laughs> yeah I, I mean burnley don't want him you can have him for a couple of million i would say from uh from turf Moor up the road so be would be uh nepotism at its finest uh like dutch <laughs> dutch brothers sticking together if uh if he came back for another year but you think you'd ever find a buyer for for like Maguire and McTominay because it's kind of one of them where yeah they're for sale but the wages and the fees the the sort of command is is a little bit dreamy it, it, it seems at times. I wonder if it depends how much of a bath United want to take on Maguire though because they're never going to get back the what was it seventy five million quid yeah, cost in the first 80, place. Yeah. Are they going are you even going to be willing to take maybe what twenty five thirty is probably a realistic yeah, price tag, Mikey. Yeah, I would think so. I think if, if someone came in with a bid of around 30, 35, you'd probably be, I think United would look at it as being accepting. Uh, I think the biggest issue for Maguire is I don't think he wants to go. Because um, by all accounts, there is some, there has been some, you know, rumoured interest from the likes of your West Ham's, you know, 
clubs like that who would potentially pay that kind of money, especially with the rice money coming in, for your McTominays and your Maguires, who supposedly David Moyes is an admirer of both, but Maguire especially, I don't think he wants to go. And I, I don't understand why, considering that basically every Man United fan hates him. So, yeah, it's, it's a big if. We are, you know, historically terrible at selling players. I think if you look at the moment, Man City are selling their third, like, you know, like a youth goalkeeper to you know, a team for like 20 million odd and we can't barely get 15 million for Dean Henderson. So, you know, we are terrible at selling players. So I don't expect them to go for much money if they go at all, to be honest. I think Manchester United just need a out-of-favour centre-back hanging around at the club at all times that's not actually playing on the pitch. And Phil Jones has departed, so Maguire's picking up the mantle there. One of the things that's been debated about the Mason Mount transfer, Mikey, is the shirt he's been handed. It is only a number, but he's been given the number seven shirt, which has been worn by such greats as Ronaldo and Cantona and Beckham and Diogo Dallo. I mean, what kind of pressure does that put onto him? I think if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago, I think you'd get a very different answer than the one I'm about to give. I don't think it gives much pressure at all. Uh, the, the number seven shirt has been cursed since Ronaldo left. We've had what Michael Owen wore it for a while. Yeah. Antonio Valencia wore it for a while. Like, it's a J, like we've had a, a litany of, of awful players wearing that shirt and it is basically cursed. That's kind of how it is these days. So if he can take it and not just be an absolute bomb scare in it, then I think that I'll class that as a success. Um, the only the issue with it is I think um, Garnacho, if you check out his Instagram recently, it's very much like he was gunning for that number seven shirt. I think he had a number seven on his birthday cake. He had uh, <laughs> you know, he's, uh, got number seven on his uh, account everywhere. He was just celebrating hitting seven million followers. And it's like, He's really going after the seven, and yes, no no seven for you, Garnacho. We're going to give it to Mason Mount. What did you make of Mason Mount's comments, by the way? Because his first interview with the club, he kind of spoke about how it was Ten Hag's vision that kind of persuaded him to join, because it must have been a bit of a wrench coming away from Chelsea. He's been there since he was six, so there's always going to be an emotional attachment, and he gave that quite a cheesy kind of interview, leaving Chelsea where he was saying thank you to the fans, etc. So... There's obviously an emotional connection with the club he's come from. It must give you some kind of faith, some kind of hope that Ten Hag was able to lay out this vision for him and the football club going forward that's made him sure that this was the right move for him. At Chelsea, it's a revolving door of random players coming in, coming out, not enough space in the locker room. Who's going to be there next week? Who's coming in the following week? It's... For lack of a better term, and I'm not sure my co-host Tom will be particularly appreciative of these comments, it's chaos. It is absolute chaos. And with the way that they've dealt with Mason Mount's contract situation, where they give him, they offer him a deal, and then rescind it, and then offer him another deal. At Man United, I think he saw Ten Hag, who has admired him since he was at, what, Vitesse? Vitesse? I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, and I think Ten Hag has been able to say to him, this is exactly where I'm going to play you. You are going to be a crucial part of the team. You're going to play every week, and we know your exact position. And I think that level of consistency, stability to a degree, especially compared to what he's been seeing at Chelsea, where he's got a different you know, midfield partner or random people playing next to him every week, is, is probably a huge factor. Um, the feeling of being wanted, I think, plays a, a big part in this. 
Nice one, Mikey. It's a pleasure to speak to you. You can hear from Mikey and Tom on the pod of Two Halves, which is available via the Sports Social Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts. Nice one, Mikey. Cheers, guys. And we're going to stay with Chelsea next because we're going to talk about Mauricio Pochettino's comments about Chelsea being the greatest football team in England for the last 15 years. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. We're going to talk about Mauricio Pochettino, the new Chelsea boss now, who made some comments in his first interview as Chelsea manager and described Chelsea as the greatest team in the last 15 years of the Premier League. Not the best, not the most successful, not the biggest, but the greatest team. Marley, is he just trying to wind up Spurs fans? I don't know why you would say this. <laughs> this is uh, this is the thing. Like, it's quite an ambiguous term, isn't it? The greatest, because it doesn't necessarily, like you said, mean the most successful or the highest earning or anything like that. So it's kind of always open to interpretation. It's almost like a chant, isn't it? By far the greatest team in the world is ever. <laughs> no, the only one they've got is Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm if I was a Spurs fan, number one, I'd be obviously fuming that he went to Chelsea at all. Um, and then in his first sit down interview, it it, uh, it comes across like a, you know, you've already knocked the person down, and and then you've gone and ran up and booted them in the head while they're, while they're down. And it's it seemed it seemed a bit needless, but obviously you've got to endear yourself to to your new fans almost, mm. um, and your new wage provider. Um, and win them over that you know Spurs is in the past and Chelsea are in the future and it's it's comments like this that you know fans fans lap it up fans are fans are always like oh you know even when he was at Spurs he, he always knew Chelsea were better look at his comments and in reality it's all just a bit of a throwaway comment but it will create a bigger ripple sort of impact I think um, but as to actually dig into his comments it. Chelsea aren't the greatest team in the last 15 years because there's a team in Manchester that wear blue that are <laughs> pretty good mm. as well, you know, and you can't really deny what they've done when they've just literally won the treble, won four out of the five, four out of the last five Premier Leagues um, and been pretty much unbeatable 100-point seasons and all sorts in the meantime. So, yeah, I'm not sure where he's quite got that one from. Well, does he have any kind of point, Joel, there? Because although Marley is right, Man City are by far and away the most successful team over the last 15 years, 17 trophies. But let's bear in mind, three of those we've got this season just gone. So before that point, Chelsea actually were level pegging with 14 trophies. Manchester United, 12, by the way. Sorry to rub that one in. It's that I mean, is trophies the best way to judge the greatest team in the first place? Is that kind of the only measurable factor? And actually, Chelsea in recent history might not have performed to a particularly high standard. Certainly in terms of there haven't been, it hasn't been a Premier League challenge but at the same time when you look at the last 15 years since the Roman Abramovich era they have been amongst the greats yeah definitely they are one of the best I mean their model works whether you like it or not the fact that they sack and hire managers every other season they still win and it actually works every single season pretty much but I think with Pochettino because he's got such an association with Spurs I think he's trying to 
almost dispel that with the Chelsea fans as if to say, okay, now I'm on your side. Because every time I think of Pochettino, it just reminds me of that Battle mm. of the Bridge game where he was on the pitch trying to drag off everyone. Remember the 2-2 <laughs> draw? Yeah. And it, it, every time I think of that, I just think of Pochettino and Spurs. And I think he's trying to almost sever those ties as much as he can. Do you think by, it was almost like important to make this statement? Yeah, to make, yeah, to just to say, I am a Chelsea yeah. man now. Spurs fans have gone on for ages. Since he left, yeah. basically, they've gone, oh, Pochettino's coming back. He's got this love for the club. He's got this affinity with the fans. And now he's gone to Chelsea. It's almost like... I mean, that's going to hurt Spurs fans more. The fact that he's now he's not only severing the ties and going to a rival club, but he's going, yeah, Chelsea are better than you. Well, this is what I mean. It's almost like dating a girl. She leaves you and then gets with your best friend and says, oh, I always liked him anyway when I was with you. It's like, sorry. <laughs> I didn't know anything about that. But yeah, I think with Pochettino, he's really trying his best to get them on side because like we've said, well, Spurs fans in general don't really have a leg to stand on when it comes to these kind of comments because they've not been anywhere near that kind of conversation, apart from obviously those couple of years where he got to the Champions League final and they looked really good. But I think for Pochettino now, this is the kind of club that he's always... I don't know I don't know if it's the right fit because when I saw him at Paris Saint-Germain, it seems like a very similar kind of fiasco where everything's just chaos. I don't think he'll have a, a, a crazy amount of time to get his ideas across because as we know, Chelsea's owners now would know that the, I mean, they've gone through three managers in the last year, which shows that they're not scared to hire and fire. And if Pochettino doesn't do well in his first two years, they will get rid of him and they will get someone else in. Mm. So I think for Poch, it's just purely a case of trying to develop some kind of relationship with Chelsea fans. And these, these pre conference interviews I mean when I was a teenager I used to latch onto every last word when it came to them because I was thinking oh he loves our club so much but now now that I'm they've <laughs> always got some weathered. kind of personal connection haven't they it's yeah. like their gran was a Chelsea fan or they used to shop in the Tesco's that was around the corner from the ground there's always something there. <laughs> there's always some kind of connection but now I'm realising when you're seeing the likes of all these players going to Saudi and saying oh you know I've always thought that this country was one that was to watch when I was uh, when I was younger but I don't really take into account these comments. It's more so a case of, like Marley said, they're the guys who are paying his wages. So he has to kind of make it his effort to mm. produce some kind of connection with the club. How long do you give Pochettino in this Chelsea job, Marley? Because as Joel says, there's been a fair few comings and goings at the club. That's been their practice historically. There's They've not given managers a lot of time to establish. But even just last season, there were two managerial sackings do you think Pochettino's going to get a chance to build a project uh, no because no one else has over the last however many years what 20 was it 2003 when Abramovich mm. came in so 20 years they've gone from other than Mourinho no one's really been given any chance any time really um, they've had bigger names than Pochettino get less time I think Ancelotti was binned off pretty quick um, Scolari was as well. Um, Hiddink came back a few times and uh, took a sort of caretaker role on. Um, and you you think more recently, you know, Tuchel was, I mean, Tuchel won him the won him the Champions League and got binned off what six months later when when Bowley came in and started mm. setting the place on fire. So it was just um, you, you can't say with any confidence that he's going to get um time because you you just don't get time in football and you definitely don't get time at Chelsea but isn't the potential difference here between other managers though because other managers have come into Chelsea and they've been given transfer budgets and been able to kind of bring in expensive players this current scenario that Chelsea are in 
And they're doing really well in terms of getting players out the door at the moment. We talked about Mason Mount earlier. Mm. They're selling everyone else to Saudi Arabia for big bucks, but they've still got this £600 million they spent last season that puts them in a horrible position FFP-wise. So he's not going to get the same kind of backing probably that previous managers have had. So does that mean he'll get more time? I don't don't know because I I feel like you knew that going into the job. So like Chelsea should have said, I don't know whether they have said this, but they should have said, look, this is our squad. Are you happy with it? Because mm. if you're not happy with it, don't take the job. There's plenty of other play, uh, other managers out there that would take the Chelsea job regardless of, of who's there. Because, you know, Chelsea have a lot of players and we all joke about it and stuff, but they're all quality. There is a, a first team there that can kill anyone in the league if you get it sorted out. But last year they couldn't because, you know, Lampard was number one vastly out of his depth. And number two had... You know, a squad of like 30 to choose from, like three left backs. Who do you play? Do you play a back three, a back four, you know, or a, or a wing back system with whoever you want in there? How do you keep all those attacking players happy without having a centre forward and try and mould them all into some style? It was never going to work. So Pochettino is, is almost doing the reverse of what managers usually do. When managers usually come in, they're like, right, who do we want? Where, where are we weak? Um, whereas Pochettino's coming in to Chelsea and going, who who can I get rid of to 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 streamline this squad because we're playing once a week next season, we've got no Europe. I can only realistically keep probably 16, 17, 17 players happy and then have a squad of 25. And he looks around the training ground at the minute and he's probably still got 32, 33 and a few more need to go before season starts where he can actually say, right, this is my strongest 11 because as soon as he settles on that, mm. then Chelsea can start moving forward, I think. Having said they're not going to spend big money, there is a potential big incoming transfer according to the Express today, Joel. They're reporting that Chelsea have opened talks with Paolo Dybala from Roma. Could this be the talismanic goal scorer the club have been looking for for the last decade? My God, just don't give him the number nine shirt. That's all they need to do because it's absolutely <laughs> cursed. I think Carly Boularouz gave him that curse. <laughs> I would have said maybe five or six years ago, yes, when he was in his absolute peak at Juventus, but now... Even though he's doing really well at Roma, I don't think he's the kind of player that Chelsea really need, to be honest. I think I think they, the answer's already on their books. I think the likes of like Armando Broja, I think if they even gave Romelu Lukaku a chance, potentially could rekindle some kind of form. But I just think with the way in which the striker market is at the moment, it's just choppy waters in terms of how difficult it is to get a striker at the moment. That I think it might be worth them just looking into their youth. Because in my opinion, the Chelsea youth system is the best in the country mm. by an absolute mile. If they didn't have owners who were so flippant, they could have a defence right now of Rhys James, Christensen, Colwell and Ake. If they did their things right, they would have a solid youth defence. And that defence is unbelievable, by the way. They're all doing amazing things at all the respective clubs. And not to mention they had the likes of Musiala on their on the books and Mason Mount's just gone to Manchester United. I mean, they've got... I think the, one of the reasons why Pochettino's gone to Chelsea is because he knows the youth system's ridiculously talented. And like we've seen at Tottenham, he knows how to bring the youth into the team pretty well. So I think for Chelsea, I know they've done a huge financial outlay, but I genuinely think that the answers are already on their books. Right. They've got a stupid amount of talent available through. I think Broha, actually, there's suggestions that Pochettino doesn't fancy him at all and he could end up no, leaving that's this that <laughs> well, I think it's a massively missed opportunity, I do as think you so say. Too. Quality I do player. Think so. I'd love to see some of the yeah. potential Declan Rice money going on Broha. I think he'd be a mm. really good fit for West Ham. And we are going to talk about that potential Declan Rice 
money next? Because could it be hitting David Sullivan's bank account at some point over the next 24 hours? That and a bit more transfer news coming up next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the final bit of today's Football Social Daily podcast. We're going to wrap up some Premier League transfer news. Three big stories to look at. Harry Kane, Harvey Barnes and starting with Declan Rice. Just take a moment here. Compose yourself, Jim. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm quite ready to say goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like Declan Rice could be unveiled today by Arsenal. The deal has been agreed. The transfer fee's been locked in for a while now. 105 million quid as predicted. A hundred million pound guaranteed, five million pound in bonuses. The deal looks like it will be structured with seventy-five million pound up front, and then twelve point five million pound in every year following that. Which I think is probably a pretty decent structure, given how a lot of deals are done nowadays. Who's got whose pants down on this one, Marley? Should it, is it one of those scenarios where someone's being done, or actually should everyone be happy, both clubs and Declan Rice? I think I think everyone everyone wins here. I think West Ham get an absolute ton of money, which they can spend on badly. Yeah, <laughs> just terrible. Yeah, you already know where this is going into the slums yeah, of Syria. They'll probably bring Danny Ings back or something like that and uh, splurge you somewhere. Yet. Have you not? No, I thought he, he might be going to Leicester. But anyway, that's a is different that right? transfer anyway, story. Yeah, we'll talk about it on Championship Football Daily or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, he's, um, I think everyone wins. I think West Ham get a load of money. Rice gets to move to a top club. Uh, he stays in London. Um, and everyone just moves on and is happy, I think. I, I don't think... like it's a, it's a staggering fee, but when you think about if Rice plays for Arsenal for the next 10 years, mm. it's 10 million a season. You know what I mean? If you break it down like that, and if Arsenal do what they want to do, I mean, Arsenal now, if, they, if they're if they in a title hunt next season, a title race, sorry, you, you, would, you can't say what we said this season about Arsenal and you can't say, oh, we didn't expect it and, and aren't they doing well to be top of the league or second in the league in March, April time next year because they've spent 180 million quid on three players this, this summer. You know, Havertz, Mount... Uh, Mount uh, Havertz, Rice, and um, Timber coming in. Mm. It's 180 million quid. Like it's stag- it's mental money. It, it should be. I mean, it's going to be hard for them to spend any more than mm. that, isn't it? Unless yeah. there are some serious outgoings. Yeah, they need to be. I mean, who could they sell for 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 big money? Like Thomas Partey, he might go to Saudi it's for only Jacques now, 20, isn't it? That's the million. last outlay, and that's it, really. Yeah, and Jack is just. I think he's going back to Leverkusen, Leverkusen isn't he? So. What is that even for a fee? I don't Twenty million, got a decent fee. Twenty, that's, yeah, that's yeah. good for Jacker to be fair. Um, yeah, so it's not, but it's not huge money. Like you wouldn't say, "Oh, we got twenty million in the bank. We're, go, go, we're going to go and sign a striker." It's kind of like just takes a bit of the sting away from that hundred eighty million and brings it down net spend wise. But it's not really um, too much Arsenal mm. can do now. Otherwise, they might sell Tierney, for example. But still, it's not enough to then go and raise funds for another striker. I think they're done now and uh, they've done well, to be fair. Do you think they've strengthened enough to put in the same kind of challenge this season coming that they did last season? More of a, I think they've got more of a challenge now. I'll put them as one of the favourites, to be really? honest. Um, I think they've addressed every area 
I, I still think that the striker area is still up for debate because Havertz isn't the most prolific, but I don't think he's going to start him as a striker. I think he's going to start him as he was at his Leverkusen days, which is almost like a nine and a half, just a little bit behind the striker potentially. Um, but like Marley said, now that they've spent so much last summer and this summer, there's expectation now. Uh, last year was almost a free ride in a sense because we didn't anticipate that they would get there so quickly. But now, I mean, you know, they've beat a lot of clubs to Declan Rice. They've got a really promising defender in Jurian Timber. Havertz, I'm still not massively convinced by him. But when you look at their squad now as just in 11, I would say it's probably up there now in terms of like for like nearly closest cities. Do you think Arteta's looking at the season Man City had where they didn't have that focal point, they didn't have that striker and still managed to win the league? And he's looking at the team he's got at Arsenal, which is full of talented goal-scoring midfielders or wide players and going, we can do the same thing here. We can kind of play that almost that like Spanish style of football and still win games without that 20-goal-a-season striker? To be honest, I think it's a little bit overrated having the need for a out-and-out striker because we've seen it time and time again. Even Arsenal last season almost proved it. When you looked at every area of the pitch where they got the goals, I mean, Saka and Martinelli got about 30 goals in between them in the league. Odegaard got like 15 in the league. Xhaka had a nearly double figures in the league. Gabriel Jesus before his injury was close to double figures they were all getting areas around the pitch that where they were scoring from so I don't believe that they need to go out and get a big out and out striker because like I say I think everywhere around their team can chip in pretty significantly but I think the biggest aspect for them this summer was tying down Saliba and Saka I think those two are big ones because it almost puts so much faith into the project especially Saliba who only had, I think, two years left in his contract and he was almost debating whether to stay or not. I think as much as I I want to take my bias hat off for a second and say that I do think Arsenal fans deserve a little bit of what's happening right now because if we think back to the last 10 years where they're getting, you know, Andre Santos as their only signing and a free transfer for Thomas Rizicki, I mean, these were the kind of things they were having to deal with over the last 10 years. And it, as a United fan, I'd Again, take my biased title for a second. It's actually nice to see a good, well-run club be run like this in the way it should be, because they've had they've had their hands mm-hmm. tied behind the back for a good fifteen years now. But like I say, doesn't take away from the fact that they have to be winning things next year. There's no excuses now. Yeah, I've got they're, they're pushing at the right time as well, aren't they? Yeah, like you definitely. see you see a lot of clubs and like they've got in the Champions League for the first time in like six years or something. And they're going and spending. Like that's that's what you do. Like that's what you, they want the owners to do. Yeah. yeah, you see a lot of clubs sort of get in there and and they're almost reluctant to go and spend huge because mm. they they don't know where the money's if the, if that Champions League money's going to be an influx for the next three four years. They almost think if we get in it twice, then we'll go and spend. But sometimes it, you don't get in it twice because you don't spend the first summer. You don't strengthen enough, and I think Arsenal are doing that. But that comes with expectation now. So if they're sixth in November. It I just looks. find it hard to believe now. I yeah. do think they're there to stay. It seems like they've got a really well-run structure now. It should be. I've got to say, I've got slightly more confidence that West Ham will spend the money wisely than previous seasons. <laughs> We've just hired in Tim Steedten from Bayern Leverkusen, who's done a good job there as technical director. Apparently, he'll be in charge of the recruitment strategy and scouting, and he's kind of got that Brentford approach where yeah, it's all about it the detail and the stats, and that's how Leverkusen team is really young and... Uh, yeah, I think you'll do a good job. And maybe uncover a few Bundesliga 
potential I don't know gems about that, as well. Jim. Bring them into the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, Let's and then t- Moyes will play them all at left back <laughs> yeah, or something yeah. and do something with them. They'll still play Antonio up front and yeah, and Suchek the in DM. Yeah, two exactly the same players. Don't matter who comes in. Yeah. Let's keep it on the Bundesliga for a moment because that could be where Harry Kane is going. There's a bit of a tug of war happening between Spurs and Bayern Munich at the moment. Spurs have offered £200,000 a week to Harry Kane to keep him in London. It's amazing he wasn't on about two hundred grand a is week already. already. Apparently not. It's amazing, isn't it? That he's, considering where some wages are at, at the moment, he's on such a low amount. And it's also weird to call two hundred grand a week a low amount. But anyway, <laughs> that's what The Guardian are saying. Build in Germany are saying that Thomas Tuchel has actually been hanging out at Kane's gaff in London trying to get him to sign for Bayern. It feels like it might be Germany or bust for Kane in this scenario, Marley. <laughs> Sorry, I've just got that, like, build. How how do they know that? I don't like, know. I, I know that, obviously, they're just guessing. But Jesus they're like Christ. They are the German version of the sun, pretty much, yeah. aren't they, Build? Yeah. So I don't think truth is necessarily at the centre of what they're writing a lot of the time I mean but it does feel like the two options for Harry Kane at the moment are stay where you are be a Spurs player for another season see what happens at the end of your contract or go to Bayern Munich and I think maybe his expectation would have been that at this stage in his career with one year left he would have had a few more options on the table yep but I think the the options you get when you got one year left they're still limited because there's only still a certain amount of teams that can afford you um, whereas if you're on a free, you you get you get more options, you get more uh, say over where you go and stuff. Because ultimately, what's putting teams off, I think now, is um, having to negotiate with Daniel Levy for at least six weeks because he doesn't do anything quickly, and he knows that as soon as the sort of season gets closer, I think he's more likely to uh, Kane's more likely to stay because he just wants to play football like, and just get it out of the way. Um, but it's it's just the the debate that rumbles on. I I want him to just end it one way or the other. I, I, to be honest, I don't really care anymore. I think <laughs> the the idea of of him winning things is is great. But he's he's nearly thirty. I feel like the boat's halfway out the marina by now. I think he's if you go and win a Bundesliga and a German Cup with with Bayern, it doesn't give you the the it doesn't do much the credit for his status that, in the game, does it? Yeah, it doesn't, like, like, it doesn't make him the greatest striker of all time suddenly because he's achieved that. Yeah, because like in ten years' time, you can say, "Oh, Harry Kane was was um, fantastic striker, but he didn't win anything in his career." And then the other guy goes, "Oh, well, he won a Bundesliga." And then the first guy just goes, "Yeah, and so did everyone. Mm-hmm. Like everybody wins Bundesliga if you play for Bayern over the last. I think they won it eleven years in a row, yeah. haven't they? So it's just I don't know. I I, I feel like." <laughs> I do feel sorry for him, but I think the um, in terms of I feel sorry for his his transfer his um, trophy cabinet, but he's he's made this choice. He he, he should have moved on when he was twenty six if he wanted to go and win loads of things because he could have won it. Could have went to Man City and won God knows what in um, in the past two three years, mm. but he he didn't, so he stayed and he, he he's basically put all his eggs in the Premier League top scorer basket, which is absolutely fine. I do feel me. slightly he's kind of been, he's kind of had the advantage taken out of him by Daniel Levy. That sentence is all over the place, but you know what I mean? It's kind of like yeah. Daniel Levy's kind of lent on Harry Kane and his supposed love for Spurs and kind of like not allowed him to force that move that maybe he would have forced if he'd played for another club. And as we've seen, like we've just said, he's on a relatively low wage for a player of his quality as well. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a case of it. I think like if you had 
if Harry Kane was Spanish and he was playing in England, you know, he would have got a lot more of what mm. he wanted. But exactly like you say, Kane's very low key. He's very, you know, he's he's got his family, he's settled, he's got a wife and kids. He's you know, he's been with his wife since he was like sixteen or something. So they're just they're very well settled, and and Levy knows that. He knows that an English guy at twenty nine is gonna have to be very, very, very unhappy to then want to ditch that to go to to Germany and learn German and, you know, integrate into that culture and uproot his family and stuff. I think Levy's a very clever man. You don't you don't make the money he, he makes and, and be in charge of a club that size without being mm. very, very savvy. And everyone knows that and it probably counts against him in a lot of things, um, especially with like the way fans think of him and stuff. But ultimately it's a clever move from him. It is it's completely like ruthless. Um but that's that's how he's played it and as long as Kane's in a white shirt come next season he's he's probably played it quite well. I do wonder whether actually him leaving could be a blessing in disguise because I think there'd be a lot of positives for Big Ange not to have to deal with this circus in terms of being Spurs boss and it kind of moving on and moving on to a new era and going right. I've not right. seen him get sucked into it yet though. I've not yet. heard anything. It's only a matter of time. To yeah. be honest, I don't even think it's a circus to be honest. Not really. Like, because I think Kane, like Marley said, Kane's one of these kind of professionals where if he just thinks that next year's the time to go, he'll just get his head down. He'll just produce again next season. Mm. And yeah. I've, I said in another podcast as well that I think for Spurs, it is worth not taking the 80 million to just keep Kane on for another season because if Spurs have to scramble around now trying to find a striker for 80 million you're not going to find it because everyone who is elite is 120 million plus mm -hmm. like Victor Ossiman you're not going to get anywhere near Napoli for under 100 yeah. Ramos if they know the Spurs are looking for someone you're not going to get anywhere near 100 million I would quite like to be in the room with Daniel Levy and Aurelio Di Laurentiis <laughs> when negotiating Christ. over a, over a Victor Ozzyman that'd be hilarious no one's coming out of that there'd room there'd be alive. tables flying after about <laughs> five minutes yeah so I think I think for Kane I don't see him leaving this season I think it's a little bit of a Russian standoff as well between if Spurs start to get engaged in a in a bid and they say and they start rejecting bids or start negotiating, I think Manchester United will be straight onto it, and I don't think they want United to start bringing out a saga and then turning Kane's head because as as far as we know, Kane might think United are not interested this season, mm. but I think for Kane, I think it's wise to stay on and the next season just take control of his future really. One final deal to talk about, and it's the tug of war that's developing over the future of Harvey Barnes. Newcastle leading the race, but Aston Villa, Spurs, West Ham also trying to nab the winger. That's according to The Guardian. Is he the best player to be picked off from that relegated Leicester City team, Joel? I think Madison's the main one. Oh, yeah, of course. He's, been... <laughs> well, he's, he's gone, gone now. Yeah, he's so got, yeah, he, the next by best. default, it's yeah, Barnes yeah, yeah, now, isn't he's it? He's the next of kin, isn't he? Um, yeah, I mean, his output in the Premier League Next last week. Yeah, I, I was going to call that one, but I thought I'd just leave it. Uh, We're too far towards the yeah, end of the podcast yeah. to worry about this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, his output, again, him and Madison were the standout players for Leicester, despite having such a poor season last year in terms of his assists, his goals, um, his influence on the pitch. He's still super young as well. I think for any of the clubs that you mentioned, I still think for Newcastle, I still think you guys need way more depth. Going into a, champ mm. a Champions League season, I think it's so important to have players on the bench who have got output because your drop-off is is considerable. Especially if you get some injuries to some of your wing players or some of your midfielders, the drop-off is going to be so badly felt, especially when you've got to keep contending in the Premier League and then you've got another European game. I mean, I feel like there's no pressure in the Champions League to do much because it's 
a debut season for the first time in a long time. But in terms of the Premier League, you want to keep trying to maintain your top four position for sure. So I think for any of those clubs, even Aston Villa, I think I've been really impressed with their recruitment. The fact that they've got Pau Torres and Telemans as well. If they add Harvey Barnes to that, they could be another team who start Mm. trying to breach top six, maybe, maybe not top four, but I think top six for sure. So they're going to demand a big fee, but I think for any team who gets him, they'll be getting a really pretty sure fit player, I would say. Dark horses for next season. I think so. I think think they could do something really interesting. In terms of Newcastle, Marley, your team, they're leading the race for Harvey Barnes. It feels like his role, his position is one that's already quite well catered for. Is it just adding depth? Yeah, I think um, I think Eddie Howe's quite loyal to the players he's got as well, which I mentioned a few months ago. I'm at, that might be a problem going forward. If, if the money's there to spend, is he going to be too loyal to the likes of like Jacob Murphy, for example, who came in and played really well last season, but ultimately he's not as good as somebody like Harvey Barnes or somebody that comes available on the market. So it's a case of like, I mean, at the minute we've got like Almiron, Murphy, St. Maximan and Anthony Gordon as, as our wingers. Um, Joe Linton's played left wing a little bit. Isak's played left wing a little bit as well. So I don't think we haven't, we don't lack numbers there, but it's, it's a case of what, what Eddie Howe wants to do really. Um, and, and does he want to go and spend, I mean, how much would Leicester want for Barnes? It's got to be minimum 35, hasn't it, really? Mm. If Madison's going for 40, you're probably going to say it's a similar type of fee for Harvey Barnes because he's a little bit younger. But even that is, you know, I, I'm, I can't see it happening, to be honest. I, I think if we'd have wanted him, we'd have moved for him by now. Um, but we'll, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But if there's anyone I want as as a winger, I want Callum Hudson to die from Chelsea. Cause really? I, yeah, yeah. Seriously, I think... He was so disappointing at Leverkusen last year. Yeah, he but, to yeah, but it's a well. young English lad going to Germany and just thinking, I'm only going to be here for six months because Chelsea are, are going to change and then will the next guy want me? And it's, in terms of like, they're talking about end, ending his contract, like mutually. Like, yeah, would you take Callum hudson die for free? Yes, of I course would, you would. I wouldn't. I would. On the wages he's on as well. Yeah. What? What's he on? It's probably, he's on like 120 a week because of that buying yeah, uh, interest it, a few years ago. But even that, that that's what you got to remember for me. Like Bayern wanted him for like 50 million. Yeah, Chelsea were like, time. no, no, no. No, but that was a long time it's like two ago. Two years ago. Yeah, but the, the the trajectory of his career since then has been. Ah, but he's only he's still only young. I think with good coaching and a proper home around him, he could be, he could be fantastic. I seen a clip yesterday on uh, someone's someone's podcast. It was with Reese James's dad, mm. um, and. Reese James, uh, the presenter said to him, like, Chelsea have had a hell of an academy, like, like you said before, like they've had a fantastic academy, and like, but a lot of people say Callum's, Callum Hudson Doyle is the best to ever come out of it, and he was like hundred percent. That's Reese James's dad. I'd say Reese James is the best player to come out of Chelsea's academy. Okay, that has some kind of value up until they start getting to the professional football stage, and then they start going on different trajectories. Because with Leverkusen, I understand your point that okay, he's, he's young, he's gone to Germany, but when yeah. you look at Balogun. Uh, Arsenal's young striker who went mm. there uh, sorry to, uh, to France, France to Rheem, and yeah. you know now he's got the pick of the bunch of where he wants to play Yeah, but Whereas, <laughs> ever since his Achilles injury Hudson Odoi I don't, I don't think he's looked the same as that player who by him were interested I think he's a good player I but think I he think can get back to it I'm not sure Newcastle would be the right destination I mm. think Newcastle can probably go for surer fire things and Hudson Odoi who is still a risk even at 22 and the other teams that are being linked with him and I've seen him linked with West Ham I've seen him linked with Crystal Palace as a head Nottingham Forest 
Palace would be a good choice. If Zaha they, goes, I think he could be a. They, they feel like more nice likely fit. destinations. Too much. Step down for him. That anyway. is it for today's Football Social Daily. Cheers for your ears. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week. On Monday, we'll have another podcast wrapping up all the latest news from the Premier League top five, gearing up to being back every single day of the week once we get into next season. Only five weeks to go. Make sure you are following and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And find us on Twitter too, at FSD Pod. This is Football Social Daily, Premier League podcast. 